The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shoan Ankele at the Zen Center of New York City. Shoan is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning. It's good to be here in Brooklyn. Um, I wanted to speak this morning about space and spaciousness and blockage. So a few um, words from my Dharma elders to begin. The first is from um, Master Huang Bo, who is a ninth century Chinese Zen sage. Um, Huang Bo, for those of you who this will be meaningful for, um, studied with Master Matsu and Master Bai Zhang. So two like, you know, uh, what, luminaries of our tradition. And then his, um, I believe he received the transmission from Bai Zhang. And then his successor was Master Lin Qi, or Rin Zai. Um, so he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> okay, his words. The Buddhas and all sentient beings are only one mind. There is nothing else. This mind, since beginningless past, has never been born, never perished. It is not green, not yellow. It has no shape or form. It is not subject to existence or non-existence. And it is not to be considered new or old. It is not long or short, nor is it large or small. It transcends all limitation, measurement, names, words, traces, or oppositions. This very substance is it. Stir your thoughts and you miss it. It is like empty space. It has no bounds and cannot be measured. And then from a contemporary adept, Charlotte Jokobeck, enlightenment is not something you achieve. It is the absence of something. All your life you have been going forward after something, pursuing some goal. Enlightenment is the absence of all that. So for the most part, you know, we are um, concerned, and one could say for good reason, with what is here, with the things, the manifestations, the stuff. <laughs> Indeed, we have built a whole way of life around accumulation, 
curating, holding up things. But there's a way in which this practice, Buddhist practice, in some particular ways, especially Zen practice, is concerned with attuning to what isn't here. So we can easily misunderstand this, probably inevitably. And yet the teachings again and again use the language of um, negation, right? In the Heart Sutra, which we chanted this morning, even if it's your very first time, you may have noticed there's a large section where it's not this, not this, no this, no this. Taking it away, 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 taking it away. Anything that's there, take it away. And the space is natural. It is not created. We don't make it. So when we speak about blockage or um, things arising or, you know, to use uh, Joko's language, pursuing something, going after something, a goal. We're talking about something that doesn't actually exist at the deepest level, and yet we're so caught. So this is what we understand um, within the Buddhist tradition as delusion. We're all deluded. <laughs> you can turn to the person next to you and be like, you're deluded and I'm deluded. Hello in your delusion. It's okay. Yeah, it's the way, uh, it's the way it is. And we can learn to see through that delusion really in a really direct way that transforms our life. We can make more and more contact with the natural space that's already here, that's already our true nature, that openness. We can do that in small ways and we can do that in large ways. And to whatever degree we do that, we can taste the experience of relief, freedom, joy. You already know this. Just think about how good it feels that first day of vacation. Yeah. Funny aside that's just coming to mind and I can't resist. Um, I was listening to a, a teaching by Soni Rinpoche, who's in the Vajrayana tradition, and he was sharing an anecdote. Um, I think that he must have been talking, of course, about you know, realization to some capacity, uh, you know, in some capacity, and that's why this anecdote came up. But he was saying that, um, I guess within Nepal where he lives, there's like, uh, a region that people go to for vacation, right? <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I can't even remember. Daytona, 
do people still go to Daytona Beach? They did when I was in high school. Like some place that's just like known as like, you know, vacation land. Um, in like Nepal, uh, the name started with a P, but I don't exactly remember it. And so he was talking, it was um, Pokhara. That was it, it was Pokhara. And he was saying like, you know, going to Pokhara and da 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 da. And he was like looking forward to, you know, some, some time in the, in the recent dish past. Like he was gonna have this vacation and he was gonna go to Pokhara and um, thinking about like, you know, planning going to Pokhara and da 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 da. And he was talking to one of his um, elders, you know, a, a more, a more um, seasoned Rinpoche. I don't remember who it was, um, but someone whose uh, reputation for sort of um, depth of practice is, is very strong. And uh, Sonny Rinpoche kind of let slip like, yeah, that he was really excited that he was gonna get to go to, go to Pokhara. And this Rinpoche was like, oh, huh, like why? Like, and Sonny Rinpoche was like, well, to, to take a vacation. And the other Rinpoche was like, yeah, why? Vac vacation from what? <laughs> and when he told the story, he was um, sharing it as a, uh, uh, a glimpse into what is this realized enlightened mind? Like, who needs a vacation? Vacation from what? So, you know, I was speaking with a, a friend the other day about working with anger. And um, she was kind of saying, you know, I've been working with anger for such a long time, and still, still I struggle with it. And how, 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 do, we, how do we transform uh, those states of mind that we don't want? Well, this is the work of a lifetime to to transform, in a sense, those states of mind that we don't want. And so on, on the Zen path, there are um, different ways of working with this. And they're all arising at the deepest level from the actual reality that that thing that we see as the blockage, let's say the anger, fundamentally has no root. It is baseless. We are creating it with how we use our mind. And you might think like, well, why would I do that? That's like <laughs> not a good thing to do. And in another way, it's like, well, we can ask the question really, you know, to say we are creating it is also like mm, a problematic statement because who, who, who is it? Who is it who's creating it? The Buddha's fundamental insight is that there is no separate self. And that sense of me and I that feels so true, and we can like, you know, we're, 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 we're uh, creating our whole life around it, that that, if we, if, we, if we study and we look and we see, we see, oh, there's nothing there. So this is the teaching of emptiness, empty of any separate, distinct self. So no one's creating it. No one fixed thing is creating it. And so Buddhism has teachings on causes and conditions, 
dependent origination, how things come into being in subtle, profound relationship. And the amazing thing is that if we're going to talk about our anger, if we really make a practice, we can see for ourselves with discipline and a um, cultivated capacity to stabilize our attention, we can start to see what are some of those causes and conditions. And the more we can kind of see into what's happening, or at least slow down the process, that's another like um, aspect of space, right? Is slowing down time. Yunin and I were having a little physics chat after breakfast this morning, and um, uh, maybe more about that in a moment or two. But one thing that he was, he sort of, it was, it was quite delightful because Yunin was just sort of like rattling off all of the, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not understanding anything you're saying, but I'm getting the energy and it's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so space and time, space and time are one thing. They're non-dual, right? From a, from a physics perspective, or I don't know if that's like Einstein, I don't know, Yunin, help. Yeah. It's okay. We, we'll, we'll skip over. Okay. I got the thumbs up. Space and time are one thing. So when we talk about space, in this sense, it's like very interesting to notice that the scientific world has a way of understanding that, and it's true to our own experience, right? Like think of those moments when you feel very congested or constricted, and you're like, ah, I just need some space. You mean at the same time, some time, right? Give me some space and some time, or, I just need some time with this and space. So what's not there? The what's not there-ness of things is really a realm where um, magic is sparked. So we should start to or continue to notice and appreciate that. You know, I think about like what happens when you take one thing and just let it be with a lot of space around it. Like if you think about um, the really high-end shops, right? You go in and there's like very little product, like the big Soho storefront and just a few things, yeah? It really makes it seem like, ooh, interesting, beautiful. Or a museum, maybe that's a more, um, I don't know, a less capitalistic <laughs> example. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been down to like the storage section of like the Metropolitan where they have like the shelves. It's like the stuff that's not on exhibit but is in the collection. Um, uh, sometimes it's possible to go take a peek. And it's actually, it's like so intense because like all of those, you know, amazing pieces uh, of, of art from across um, space and time when they're all just like on shelves in storage, they don't have the room that they need to sort of hum. Yeah, it's like the pedestal, the space around, that's like something's getting sparked. And if it's true of a statue, 
or a bracelet or a wooden bowl? What about us? Even like in the, the artistic disciplines, like um, I was reading Isaac Stern, who's a renowned violinist, no longer living, um, said that music is the little bit between each note, the silence which gives the form. And that even, even in like acting or theater, um, the silence, right? The pause, even, even for yourself, speaking with someone, how you might take some, some space before you say the thing of the most import, right? And then, of course, in um, uh, visual art, and particularly, well, not particularly, but uh, because we're in a Zen temple, um, I will mention in particular the Zen arts. And I was um, recently acquainted with the artist Hasegawa Tohaku, who's a Japanese artist from, from the 15th century. And um, you have probably, well, you may, you may know his, his name and his work. He's a national treasure, considered a national treasure in Japan. But this was my first acquaintance in actually identifying a, a person to go with images that I've seen all my life. So some of these, like, you know, it's like um, the pine trees just a few brush strokes and the suggestion that all that white space is fog, right? They're just emerging. Or um, there's, there's some incredible images of dragons, again, like coming out. So it's just like the head of the dragon and the tail of the dragon. And then most of the, the paper or the screen is empty space. So we can think, too, about zazen like this. Like the period starts, we get those three bells, and all they're doing is framing this time, this space. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. You're like, I don't know about you, but a lot happens for me. <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. I mean, so that's the next layer, right? It's like nothing's happening, and so much is happening. Where? In the space of our mind. So what is this space, this mental space, mind space? Like, if right now you, like, close your eyes and call to mind a loved one. Where is their presence, right? Some of us may see a face, some of us may more feel the presence, but like where is that happening? So the conventional view would be like, okay, well it's like happening in my brain, it's like happening behind my eyes. If you look closely, are you so sure? If you look closely, is that just an idea that we've been conditioned to sort of uh, have? Like, really? It's like happening inside your skull? 
So we can start to see like, okay, the space of mind, maybe it's like not actually a physical space. We can't really say. Wang Bo, right? The Buddhas and all sentient beings are only one mind. There is nothing else. And then he goes on, this mind has never been born, never perished. And he does his own litany of negation, right? It's not a color. It doesn't have a shape or a form. It's not between your ears. It's not new, it's not old, short, tall, large, small. It transcends all limitation, all measurement. Anything you put is just another idea. Yeah. So one of the things that we start to learn when we're sitting, and um, maybe, you know, you, you, you saw this even this morning, like, where does it all go? The period ends, right? The bell comes in and sort of um, brings us back if we've drifted away, and it's, it goes, it's gone. Where was it? Where was it? So when um, Joko Beck talks about this as a, uh, you know, enlightenment is the absence of all that activity, in other words, all that mental activity. So there's just space, and we're overlaying it brilliantly. It's not a bad thing. It's incredible. I'm so glad to have like a body and a like self to have a life with, right? I'm not trying to extinguish my experience, but I can learn to see what it is so I'm not duped. So I can use it to have a life. So practically speaking, when we're sitting zazen, at first, right, and at first, I mean forever, there's a lot of letting go of thoughts. There's a lot of seeing what arises in the mind. We say, see the thought and let it go, right? So there's all this activity happening in this boundless field. And um, we are, in a sense, uh, practicing in accord with the Dharma when we uh, appear to let a thought go. We don't pursue it, right? We're like making room in a way. Um, I, I was thinking about that Marie Kondo and the like the life-changing magic of tidying up. Do people remember when that came out? <laughs> and like the 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 like revolution of like getting rid of stuff. So I don't know if she's like pop culture enough that like everyone knows who I'm talking about or not, but she like wrote a book and it was all about like how to like get rid of things and and release more joy into your life. Um, and um, uh, she had, she had a, a, a thing where you would like take each thing, you would like have a process of like going through your belongings and take each thing and see like, does this spark joy? And if it sparks joy, like perhaps you're gonna keep it. And if it doesn't, like why, why do you have it in your life? Um, it's kind of great. I did that with my closet. I should probably do it again. Um, but, but then we can, we can actually look and see at the deepest level that while in the beginning it feels like a little bit of a like, you know, um, 
see it, let it go, and uh, you know, maybe in our own our own way, seeing like, okay, well, this isn't serving me, right? This thought, this habit, this pattern does not spark joy. This anger, I want to let it go. I want to be rid of it. But it's not so simple, right? As when we clean out our closet and we just have the like. The, the, the bin for, for the donation box. Um, it's not so simple as that. If only it were. The blockage, the anger or whatever it may be, is um, just energy moving. It appears to have substance. But that's why we need to learn how to settle our mind. That's why the first instruction in Zazen is to take the object of uh, awareness, generally speaking, we use the breath, and to learn how to calm the mind, to steady the attention, right? And if you're new to practice, or even when we're very experienced in practice, we can see that uh, the activity of our life spills into our Zazen. When we sit down, we may have a very busy mind indeed. There's a lot of movement. And part of what we're learning when we hang in there and develop a practice over time is how to let ourselves settle, how to create space to allow space. So when we hear a teaching like samsara and nirvana are the same thing, which is a expression of the Dharma, samsara meaning our struggling world that we conventionally live in, is no other than this place that is um, open, vast, free, joyful. It's the same. We don't have to go somewhere else. We're, we're in it. It's the same thing. The shift is how do we see that? And how do we use our mind? Are we in touch with our natural spaciousness and able to let all of that energy just move through? Or have we frozen, blocked, solidified? So interestingly, again, to go back to physics and and science, you know, um, and this is like, just, just to bring an example to mind, not, into, not to get into the depth, the depth of it, but like how an atom, maybe, maybe you l- remember learning this in science, is mostly empty space. So I remember like the analogy that, that I um, learned is like, if, if, the, if a peanut is the nucleus of the atom, then like, the rest of the atom is like a, a, the baseball stadium, right? So you imagine this huge, huge space and one little, that's the matter, that's the substance. And I was looking online and some, someone sort of writing, writing about science for a, a, you know, a, a, a lay audience was saying like, they get asked the question like, well, if you took like all the matter in the universe and like put it into one ball, like how much space would it actually take up? And they were saying like, okay, that question isn't valid for like a million reasons. And they sort of like gave the reasons and then they were like, but I'm gonna like indulge you and answer it. 
And so they said, if in, in your body, as a, as a human being, if you were to like take out all the empty space, you would be the size of a particle of dust. That can't be. <laughs> and that if you were to do that with everyone, the entire human race would fit into a sugar cube. Like, that cannot be. Yunin, give me a like up or a down. He, I'm getting the thumbs up. Yeah. I mean, can you believe that? So when we like hear Dharma teachings and we're like, that's so cosmic, that can't be true. It's like, well, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. And then in the same article, it said that if you were to take all the matter in the entire universe, all right, I mean, impossible to conceive, right? But like go out, 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 all of the matter in the entire universe and condense it into like one corner of the universe, like one, one little area, the percentage of space it would take up is decimal point, zero, 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 no, zero, 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 it's 20 zeros, four, two, percent. All right. I think I have made my point. <laughs> so um, all this to say, like, yes, it's all moving so quickly. Things are happening, right? It's like the, the, in the, it's the electrons and the protons and the neutrons that are, like, spinning and moving in the around the nucleus and all that empty space that gives us the, like, and just in a similar sense, we could think of an imperfect analogy, but actually there's something there. All of that spinning activity of our mind, the movement of our mind, the movement of our mind is creating the sense of stability and solidness of things, of self and other, like a magical display, the Buddha said. In, in, in the next few lines of that passage that I read from Huang Bo, um, he says, so it is just like empty space. It has no bounds and cannot be measured. Just this one mind itself is Buddha. It is just Buddha and sentient beings are no different. So the awakened, it's like samsara and nirvana are the same thing, right? It's just a different way of sort of offering that same teaching, but in a very personal way. You're a Buddha. You're no different from a Buddha, an awakened being. Buddha and sentient beings are no different. It's just that sentient beings grasp appearances. That's the difference. It's just that sentient beings grasp appearances. Seeking outwardly, they become more and more lost.
So samsara is this energy that's spinning, churning, always doing, whizzing around. And we create a practice where we put some space, right? Some space there. So this dense point of I, me, mine created as an illusion that you can see into for yourself starts to uh, loosen. And we can start to see that this personal condensation is, um, has, has much more room in it. And it doesn't mean that we don't have our experiences, right? So difficulty, the, the uh, difficulty motions, um, the hardships of our life uh, still emerge. But with space, it's quite different, right? A little bit of room around it, a different understanding of what's going on. It's not the same. For some of you I know who have um, experienced Sishin, so intensive retreat where the mind really has a chance to settle, um, it's, it's not uncommon that at the end of that retreat, we return to like the things that were problems and um, relate to them very differently. I mean, that's, I remember I used to uh, teach and there was one year I was at teaching middle school for the, I was teaching middle school English, eighth grade English. It was my first year of teaching and it was, te- it was going terribly because I had very bad classroom management. And um, I came back from Sishin and, you know, I would dread, I would kind of dread certain classes that I had because the kids were just so out of control and I like couldn't get it back. Um, but when I came back after Sashin, my mind was so relaxed and spacious. I remember being like, it was a whole, completely different experience. And those same behaviors and those same students that would normally like trigger my like rage and anxiety and panic and fear <sighs> went just right through me. No big deal. And then of course, because I wasn't responding, out of my habitual triggered way, something new was able to happen. So to get in touch with and begin to um, open to this spacious quality is an offering. We're not going to lash out in the same way. We're not going to respond from our insecurity, right? Or, aversion in the same way. Because all of those uh, difficult emotions are rooted in the sense of a self that we're trying to defend and protect. And as that loosens, you know, it's not that we have to see all the way to the bottom. I mean, that's one of the amazing things about practice. And that's why people come back is like, you start to do the practice and you see like, wait, I don't really know what's happening but like, I feel different. Things are changing. You're working with your mind and your heart at the root and it's powerful. So
There are simple things that we can do. There are simple things that we can do to um, get more in touch with and create this space. There is just slowing things down. We live in such a hyped up, speedy time. And it really goes against the culture to like slow down. But it's essential. You know, so even coming here for the morning and taking, you know, this time to be like non-productive. And I mean that in the best way to be within space and time without trying to get or make or do. We're like giving some room, right, around that wooden bowl so it can start to really hum and sing. There's practices, right, of like non-reactivity. So when I was speaking with um, this person who was bringing up anger, um, my friend who was bringing up anger, and I was like, well, you know, the first thing is like, don't react from your anger. And she was like, oh, that is so helpful. (laughs) Yes, we need to hear that. Stop, slow down. When you feel it bubbling up, take some space. Take some time. To learn how to concentrate the mind is another way of giving ourselves space. So in other words, like do one thing at a time. Another thing that culturally we are like, waving goodbye to, right? It's all about like multitasking and like maximizing your whatever productivity, like how many things can you do at the same time? Um, So uh, we have in our tradition, in the Zen tradition, caretaking practice, which is meditation within activity. You're given like uh, uh, something simple to do that's, you know, meaningful work, helping to to make a meal. Maybe you're the one who's cutting the mushrooms, as I was the other day. And then just you give all of your attention to that. And we see the mind moves in every which way. And you just keep coming back, like giving that space, right? The mushrooms now the thing on the pedestal of your mind. Just that blade cutting through. When there's room around it, the miracle starts to be revealed. We can um, unplug, disconnect from all of the like, I don't know, the strange world that we're in that's so like hyper-connected and like demanding of our attention and seductive and has its benefits, but to take time, right? To carve out space and time where we like put that down. To listen, this is an excellent practice. You could try it, you know, instead of pulling out your phone in the next interval where you're like waiting for the subway or, um, you know, those, those moments that we now tend to fill 
to just listen. It awakens a receptivity of our attention. And particularly when we're in a space where there is sound that is um, difficult to hear or distant, we can start to feel into space in a different way. Even to just do that for a few minutes. Of course, sitting zazen. And then we can start to see there's no blockage, actually. Little by little. And some things, you know, I was reflecting on, um, you know, that it's not the Marie Kondo, just like see it and like put it in the trash bag if you don't want it, no. But like with time and space, many, many deep things can be transformed and healed and worked with. And by time, I mean like a lifetime. We don't need to be in such a hurry to like clean this mess up so we can get on with it, but to appreciate like the sacred journey that we're on. It's not apart from. When we can enter in that way, Our own life, our own moment-to-moment experience can be like that wooden bowl, shimmering and alive, honored just for what it is. I was thinking about how um, Kanon Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of compassion, is... um, This is Avalokiteshvara, Bodhisattva, Bodhisattva from the Heart Sutra, Bodhisattva of Compassion. Um, Their name is the one who perceives the cries of the world. So Avalokiteshvara, Bodhisattva, listening, hearing the cries of the world. So interesting. That's their name. That's, that's the manifestation, right? I mean, they also have like 10,000 hands and eyes, so they're responding. They're not just sitting there like listening. But um, I think that, that points to something. So um, the Buddhas and all sentient beings are only one mind. There is nothing else. May we completely realize this truth for the benefit of all. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.